0: For me, fashion is a verb, so it's to fashion. My name's Claire Press, and I'm Vogue Australia's sustainability editor. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis.
1: I just think it's curiosity at the core of it. Like, I just really want to know the answer to things.
0: You talk about revolution in 68? No, we make the revolution before... Can we just go back to making really beautiful clothes with a sole and minimize the waste and think a little before we, we make things and bring back the value? Provided you wake up every morning and you're aware of the fact that your wardrobe is in the fashion supply chain, then you're a fashion decision maker. Join me every week as we talk ethics, sustainability and the business and madness of fashion. From who made your clothes, to how they impact on the environment, to the politics of personal style. Hello again, how's everyone doing? What a week, or actually a couple of weeks, it's been for sustainable fashion. I've been emceeing all these events. So the first Australian Fashion Summit happened during Melbourne Fashion Festival and I worked on the sustainability programming. I was in conversation with Christina Dean from Redress in Hong Kong. Do you remember our podcast? If you haven't checked it out, it was episode 63. Christina and I were joined on stage by Patrick Duffy, among others, and you can listen to his episode, which was all about the power of the clothes swaps. And that was, I think, number 35, Christina and I also spoke at RMIT University to fashion students that always makes my heart sing I love talking to fashion students they've got such good ideas about how we're going to do fashion differently then back in Sydney we've just had the first Aussie conference entirely dedicated to sustainable and ethical fashion it was called Legacy Summit and it was on for two days and created by Mel Tuwali from Fashion Revolution here. Patrick and I were the MCs, and we were just blown away. There were some really great conversations around everything from modern slavery to climate change to local production. Now, at the very same time in Nairobi, something major was happening. Have you guys been following this? So the United Nations Alliance for Sustainable Fashion has just launched at the UN Environment Assembly. It's focusing on fashion as a form of activism and empowerment to tackle the industry's big issues, so things like water pollution, carbon pollution, and waste, all our favourite subjects. Now, another friend of this podcast was there in Nairobi for the launch, Simone Cipriani of the UN's Ethical Fashion Initiative. Why do I mention Simone, apart from the fact that I just love him? It's because it was Simone who introduced me to this week's guests. That was back in 2014 when they just started their label Studio 189. It's a social enterprise, a fashion, lifestyle and media brand that's based between New York and Ghana. They work in countries with valuable skills, but limited infrastructure. And the whole idea is to help build the creative economy of the African fashion industry. And here's a quote from them. They say, everything you do, from what you buy to how you dress, has impact. They are Rosario Dawson and Ibrima Oweir. I'm sure you know Rosario from her film work, she was discovered as a 15-year-old sitting on her stoop by Harmony Corinne, who cast her in his cult hit, Kids. Do you remember that film? I was working at Oyster Magazine when that came out and I, I think I interviewed him, but I certainly wrote about it. Since then, Rosaria has been in some major movies from Sin City to Men in Black to Rent. But she's also an activist. Abrima studied business and her background is actually in luxury. She used to work in comms at Bottega Veneta, Her lightbulb moment was a trip she made with Rosario to Eve Ensler's City of Joy program that works with violent survivors in the Congo. And if you want to read more around that, I'll share some links in the show notes. You can listen to this episode as a bit of a lesson in how to start a social enterprise with a friend who shares the same values. It's also packed full of info on working in Africa or indeed anywhere with marginalised communities. It's an episode about co-creation, respect, gratitude. It's also a story about female friendship and what really matters. And I'm keeping it real. Rosaria Dawson is a movie star who happily flies economy. <laughs> She's just fabulous. They're both fabulous. This was really, really a fun one for me to record. I think this conversation ups the ante on inspiring. I hope you love it as much as I do. As always, I love to hear your feedback you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mrs Press. And also, please help me out if you can by spreading the word about the podcast. I'd be so grateful. A very quick shout out to some more of our citizen producers without whom this series would not exist. Thank you to Kirsten Lee, Elizabeth Rich, Stephanie Jones and the wonderful shoemaker, Anna Julia Forster. And while I'm thanking people, (laughs) I feel like I'm accepting an Oscar. (laughs) Thank you to our new patron subscribers. And also, thanks to our friends at EcoAge for sharing our episodes. But now, let's hear from this dynamic power duo. Rosario Abrima, last time we had a conversation was at, during Milan Fashion Week at Who Is On Next. Oh. What year was that? It's probably 2014. Mm-hmm. Right. September. And Studio 189 was showing as part of that showcase, which is all about next-gen talent. And mm-hmm. you would come there as part of the Ethical Fashion Initiative with Simone. Mm-hmm. Fabulous!
1: Yeah, that was really cool. I loved how that was all structured and our space and our whole look. It was so still. Are in the beginning? I was I mean, going to say only. I think maybe a year in.
0: <laughs> so that was my question. A lot has happened since then. Yes. So where are you at with it now? And I wonder if you might like to just sum up the whole vision behind the brand and the label.
2: Studio 189 started as a collaboration between Rosario and I, and the whole idea behind it was essentially to use fashion as an agent of social change. That's our mission. And um, we seek to empower the value chain. We're based between West Africa, Ghana, and the United States, uh, New York. And we just thought it was really important if we could um, essentially trace The work of the various people that uh, participate in the process of making clothing all the way from the farm to the consumer and back around we can create opportunities for work and change the narrative of what comes out of africa and also do capacity building and training and so that's kind of where studio 189 comes in and the biggest thing is that we think that working together to build a local fashion industry can be more economically beneficial than aid, and it can create jobs that provide dignified work to people that are working within the ecosystem of fashion in developing
0: economies. I want to get into the story of Made in Ghana and exactly how it is that you work and who you work with. But let's just talk a little bit about how you came to this piece, because I happen to know that you worked at Bottega Veneta, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you weren't in design. No how did you guys meet and Abrima how did you make that switch from luxury and that kind of whole world of craft which you still apply to this but from were you in marketing? Yeah. To design.
2: Yeah. Well
1: you want to go first? Well
0: yeah we met in high school uh, yeah, I was going to say, did you yeah. go to school together?
1: I thought no, did. didn't oh, go, go, go to school, school together. together. No, so I, I went to elementary school with a woman that she ended up going to high school with. So we met briefly then, sort of like when I had reconnected with my friend Hannah. And then years later, we started to be more in contact with each other as like our circle started to kind of close in a little bit more. And we had more friends mutually and started dating a friend within the community and it was like a whole thing. And then we just sort of kept in touch and kept eyes on each other and was constantly supportive of each other each other in our endeavors. Um, I had been acting. She went to college. She did the, like, super smart, awesome route where she speaks multiple languages and is super cool and living around the world. And, you know, I just have always been a huge fan of hers and just really moved by her and just her tenacity and her brilliance and her you know, just like the, where her motivation comes from, you know, she's really, Rima's very, I am not to talk about not here. Um, <laughs> she's here. You know, you're really such a light, you know, you just, you, she has, you, I don't have to keep talking about you, but you're, um, that she's person is so up. connected to family and to community and such a New Yorker in that great way. I think where you're just really conscious and aware of the possibilities and the opportunities that are there. And having been discovered on my stoop at 15, it was not that thing of like New York just kind of being a background or this place you just exist in. It was really about going, wow, because my grandmother and my great grandmother and my mom and the choices that they made and and the, the sacrifices that they made and the positions that they took have put me in a place where i have access to opportunities and options that i otherwise would not have and look at what it's creating for me and just being hyper aware of that and working really hard to always just not take it for granted and i rightly really recognize that in you abrema as someone who also just didn't take it for granted you know which i think it sometimes happen. you're in new york and there's just people who they don't get out of their neighborhood. Yeah. You know, it's like I live in here in LA now, and there's people who've never been to the beach. You know, they just there's some folks who wow, just yeah. don't kind of necessarily get that moment and that the platform, the privilege that they get, even when you don't have much. But that there's so much inherent privilege in what you do have access to, and I just saw that like Brima just was attached to her. She was like a Borg. She was attached to her BlackBerry. <laughs> she just worked twenty four seven, and she just as smart and. Brilliant brilliant. brilliant and beautiful and powerful and dynamic and connected as she is, she just always pushed even beyond that and to a different expectation for herself so we collaborated often on different projects and things that would come up through like Bottega or whatever and Fashion Night Out or just different things because we just loved being around each other and I think each other's energy. And then in 2010, she actually recognized and resurrected this communication she did with me around this idea, which ended up becoming Studio 189. And from that communication built, probably in the back of my mind, built the reason why I ended up inviting her to come with me to the DRC, yeah. which is I'm on the board of V-Day and um, it's Eve Ensler's organization to start Stop violence against women and children and she came with me on that trip and it was just from there
0: I really want to get into that because that story is amazing before I do that I want to bounce that back to your bremer and say Rosaria just painted a beautiful picture of what she sees in you and why she wanted to work together to build this with you would you like to flip that back and say why it works for you? I feel, like I, feel like I could just stop right now. <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, I feel that? no, just
2: so beautiful. <laughs> I was just like, oh, like Rosie, eyes staring at her. If you had a video, you'd be like, oh, my God, she loves her. I um, do love no, you. No, I mean, then I love you. <laughs> That's what I meant. Um, you know, it's, it's, first of all, like, she floors me sometimes. But um, it's been such an honor in so many ways, you know. I don't even know where to begin because like you were saying, I used to work in a luxury fashion and having – these ideas at a time when these ideas were not on the table was not easy because, you know, sometimes you think you might be losing it. Like, why are you thinking about, you know, you're the person who always raises their hand and says, but what about those people? But what about this? And, and you, you don't understand which way to go with that because it doesn't mean that you don't want to be in the sector and it doesn't mean you don't want to work for a business. And I think there was a time when people would be like, oh, so you want to work in HR because you care about humans. <laughs> no, HR's great, but that's not necessarily what I want to be doing. And so, you know, at these moments when I was having these thoughts, I was able to talk to Rosario, you know, and she was a sounding board for me. And she probably didn't know exactly where I was going with it because I didn't know where I was going with it. But she was always open to listen and to be there. And she doesn't just do that for me. And this is actually, honestly, an incredible energy that Rosario gives is that she does that for everybody, you know, and it's like, And I I think that has to do also with what you were saying about being a New Yorker and about, you know, the families that we come from and I guess the tightness of the environment that we come from. But there's something about that where you feel like you're this active participant, you know, like it's not you have to do it. Like, if you see trash, you pick it up. You know, like, Mm -hmm. who's going to pick it up? Like, we grew up in it, like, who's going to do it for you? You got to do it. You know, like, I see your mom, you know, something's broken, she fixes it. And I think that maybe because of that we apply that to when we see something we try. We may not always succeed but we try. And so at this moment when I was trying to figure it out, Rosario was there for me and was a sounding board and then recently we spoke at The Hague at One Young World where I got, it was amazing. It was amazing. 1,800 young people, 200 countries represented, people doing incredible projects inspired by us, they inspired us. But we also got to meet Muhammad Yunus who is, you know, the creator of social business and social enterprise won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2006, creator of microloans or invented the idea of it and inspired me fully and to the point where in 2010 I wrote this project proposal to Rosario when I didn't know what I was... Actually, it's exactly what we're doing in some (laughs) ways, but I also didn't know what I was saying. I was just saying things, you know, and... um, But she responded. You know, some people didn't respond. Rosario responded and invited me to the Congo and, you know, fast forward to... The time we've spent together where we've realized we could work together, Rosario's been there to help me through the good and the bad, but also to develop these ideas. But what I think is so incredible, and I think that there are so few people that do this, especially at your level, because a lot of people would never do this, is that Rosario goes in from the bottom in. Mm -hmm. You know, like most people... Even today, who are excited about Africa now, they're coming in, but they come in with a convoy or they come in with the plane and they give the warning and, you know, everybody's waiting for them and they're standing in a line. Rosario didn't do that. She came in when nobody cared. Nobody wanted to have the conversation. You couldn't get somebody on the telephone. She came in with no budget, no anything, stayed in the house. Most people will not stay in the house. They will only stay in a fancy hotel You know, like, none of those things. She came in, economy, like, landed in the airport, did all the same things like everybody else does, waited five hours for her luggage, the whole thing, got in the taxi, like, super basic, and really understood what other people are doing, you know, whether it's heat, no electricity. We did an interview once where we were, like, in the dark. You know, no electricity. It's beautiful because it wasn't staged. It wasn't, like, the staged performance. It was real. And then people would see Rosario walking in the streets of Ghana, like, I don't understand. Like, what are you doing here? She's like, "Well, what are you doing here?" <laughs> you know, that was. And she's like, "What are you doing?" And so they're like, "I'm having a beer." She's like, "Well, I'm having a beer." <laughs> and, and and it was so real, though. And and I think that that authenticity and seeing her do that because that's how you learn, right? And that's how you grow. And that's how you develop a project that's rooted in like reality and in family. And I think that that is part of what drew me to want to move to the Lower East Side where Rosario grew up, and that's where Studio 189 was born name-wise and conceptually. So beautiful. It's
0: so beautiful. You two are so beautiful. You're beautiful. Nah, it's a beautiful (laughs) love fest. Let's talk about something that ended up being extremely beautiful but was born out of absolute horror, which is coming back to that story about Eve Ensler and the journey that you two went on Mm -hmm. to see the work that's being done in the Congo. Yeah. Um, I have to say what's so powerful about working
1: with Eve, just another incredible light warrior in this world, is she brings such creativity and art and beauty to such a horrific conversation that needs to be had. And the narrative is so that it really pushes people out of feeling like there's any way out of it. And she just invites people in with humor and honesty and vulnerability and it's been incredibly impactful over years. You know, V Day is 20 years old now and so now the, the City of Joy, which is where we were going there for the opening of in Congo, is seven years old now with over a thousand graduates and it's a space that was created designed by and for women who have suffered the realities of conflict mineral mining wars that are going on in the land there over tungsten and tin and colton all the things that go into our cell phones and in computers, and using rape as a, a tactic of war in order to destabilize these regions um, and you know force these different power dynamics, and she created this space that these women are you know able to process what's happened to them to kind of create a different pathway out of it by understanding that they're no less Congolese just because they're women and their rights and, you know, either building on skills that they already have or developing new ones so that they can become entrepreneurs and businesswomen and work in farms and put their own kids through school. Mm -hmm. And just, it was, you know, there's a whole thing of their motto is basically turning pain into power. And that was just incredibly impactful for us in recognizing the way that we could, take the seeds of this idea Brima had and turn it into something provocative and empowering for everyone across it, not just like, here we are with this big idea that we're going to just hand to you, you're welcome, Mm. but really create partnership with people who are willing, ready and able to take things to another level by just by pooling our resources and our talents and our capabilities in order to create something that was bigger than all of us.
0: What does that look like in Ghana when it comes to making the clothes for Studio 1809?
2: it looks like lots of things it looks like starting with you know knowing who people are and knowing what their names are I think that's a big thing well because half
0: the time in fashion we haven't got a clue even where anything was made that's right exactly
2: people half the time or most of the time have no idea who's participating in the making of their clothes or their food and also, when they think they know, they don't really know even their name. They may know an idea of where that thing is made or that item is made, but they wouldn't be able to tell you the names of the people. And if you interchange them, and it's it's actually crazy, like if somebody got sick, if somebody died, like you wouldn't, they would just have no idea like, it happened because you think about it oftentimes like a head count you know like I have 10 people 20 people 1,000 people so as long as if, if you're looking at numbers and as long as you still see a 10 it's people faceless. it's yeah. faceless you're like okay well you had 10 you still have 10 everything must be okay it's not until you actually go and you know somebody that you might know that you're doing something wrong or something good or that, you know whatever and, and so in our case what does it look like in Ghana I mean it looks like a supply chain how did you begin to set
0: it up though I mean that's very interesting in the first place you got these ideas this is what I want to do
2: yeah well I I first, you know, didn't do it. Um, <laughs> step one is the, is the part of your brain that tells you that's crazy and you have a job and stay there. And then you know step two is the universe that says, okay, that's nice, but we're going to do this instead. <laughs> and um, so you know the Congo was the first time that we saw what sustainability really looks like with marginalized communities, and it was very clear, as Rosario said, that it wasn't our job to go top down, but it was bottom up, mm-hmm. and that these communities were existing in so many far out places that you cannot tap into. They really have to do it themselves and then after that the caring group actually had given a grant to an organization in Uganda called AfriPads that makes washable sanitary napkins for girls that skip school when they have their period and I became a mentor and you know I had been there for a while and it was the first time that anyone spoke to me about Africa and I was like yes I want to do this and I went there and I met uh, women girls, you know, who basically skip school when they have their period, but they were creating this product that was a locally sourced fabric. It was produced locally. It created jobs locally. It was sold locally. You know, it was extremely empowering. And it was the first time that I really saw what, you know, a social business could look like. But also driven by women. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it was, but it was like, and exactly, and I, I just really distinctly remember these, these moments when, you know, you're in the village, and you're just it's kind of like nothing there, <laughs> and you see these young girls walking with, you know, their husband or their father, and, you know, the the team is trying to kind of explain the story of these afripads, and, you know, do you want to try it or whatever. And they're kind of walking past you like I can't, you know, they don't even listen to you. They don't look at you, but they're kind of listening to you. Mm-hmm. They're kind of listening to you, but they don't show you. They just walk straight. And then you would see this tiny gesture where somebody would, you know, tap the woman, meaning her husband or her father, and give her this permission, or where she would make the choice herself. And it was this kind of moment when you could just see that it was unlocked. Like, that was it. Then she would turn. It was like quiet, you know, come and listen, and then make this choice. But the choice was hers. You know, and that was really different than seeing people, you know, give out kind of charity path. well I was yeah. gonna say
0: I mean it just brings open this whole dialogue which I think we're yet to have in a really advanced sense in the broader fashion industry around kind of this colonialism which we see in supply chains and which we see which is oh I don't know I mean there's one side is a kind of oh let me help you right mm-hmm. which comes from a good place but mm-hmm. it's condescending and doesn't work but then the other side which is just like we exploit you Mm-hmm. I mean, those two pieces are very common still in fashion supply chains. It's actually not that usual that you hear from people who are saying, we recognize that there's opportunity here, but our job is to facilitate you to create the opportunity for your own community.
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's an interesting point that you raise because I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. It's not easy. It's challenging because on the one hand, you you want to believe that it's possible that everybody can do things on their own and you want to say that but it's not necessarily always true. It's not easy. You know, like, if I wake up in the morning today, somebody's taken out my trash, somebody's, solved that problem for me. You know, somebody solved the recycling problem for me. Some, my lights are working. I don't even know why they're working. They're just working. I just flip the switch.
0: And can I just say, yeah. I know you're always talking about light because I know that when we first talked that in Ghana they have loads and loads of power yeah. cuts all the time and that's the mm-hmm. reality of living yeah. and doing business. Yeah, and yeah.
2: we're lucky because we don't have it but as we badly. we don't think about
0: the light. We just expect It's the just lights. there. So it's and just if there. you have a
2: problem, there's someone you can call. And if your trash is, you know, there's somebody you can call. Like it's yeah, gonna if it get...
0: breaks,
1: you can go to the store and get something else. And...
2: Yeah, like you don't have to deal Deal with all these tiny, tiny issues that make it difficult just to get to 12 o'clock, you know? And so I think that that's why I like this idea of social business, because It needs to be business because if we're thinking about the next 100 years, we can't just think about, you know, giving something away and and not allowing people to do it themselves. But at the same time, if you want it to be sustainable or allow people to do it themselves, it has to be a partnership. You know, Mm -hmm. like we got to do this together. So it's not necessarily like, yeah, exactly. It's not that idea where I'm helping you. You know, thank you and goodbye. When I say you're welcome. Mm-hmm, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you and you're welcome. You know, and like, I mean, or exploitation, but it needs to be this other area where I respect you, you res- hopefully respect me. And like, I recognize there's areas of work that you can contribute that I can't do, and vice versa. Like, my phone can't work thought your minerals, for example, Mm -hmm. maybe. You know, so, like, if that's true, then I should respect you because I want my telephone. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there has to be
0: an area of partnership that exists. Rosaria, what's been the most challenging aspect of building this business? I mean, I think it's the
1: fact that there aren't a whole lot of examples of exactly how to do it and the ways in which that a lot of folks wanted to approach us to help us would have compromised what we were doing and so that was definitely one of the harder parts especially when you get offers for certain kind of projects or collaborations and monies and like things that are coming in and having to say no that's really hard because you're getting to know the community and you're recognizing that short-term benefit that could come from said Kind of agreement, but sticking it out and not doing it anyway. When we were both, you know, oftentimes kind of going, but are we even making the right choice? Like I don't know. We, there's not a lot of people we can talk to or communicate with to go. Was that a stupid idea that we said no to that? But, but constantly having each other's side, yeah. And but when that we're going on gut instinct, you know, that's you know, and, and really kind of go. Well, does that feel right? Does that seem right? And we have both have had enough we've worked hard enough and found success in different ways in the the industries that we've participated in that we, you know, we have some experience that we can apply that it wasn't always direct. But we had relationships and people that wanted to support us and got what we, so I think it was just really making sure that we found that. And through malaria and rolling blackouts and floods and Ebola and all of these different things. And, And luckily, I've kind of had that experience a few times. You know, I started a voting organization called Voto Latino 14 years ago. And we're talking about the Latin vote then. Congratulations. And people were like, what are you talking about and why? You know, So I, I definitely have been in that space before where you're seeing something and feeling like, you know, vagina monologues being created with Eve, you know, seeing that through her eyes when you couldn't even say the word vagina before. You know, and now we're here at Me Too and Time's I Up. Know. But you have to have those seeds. You have to have those pioneers and recognizing that. And so I think for us what was really powerful was even though sometimes we didn't see the landscape so clearly before us, we could look back and connect dots that maybe at the time didn't seem obvious but we could see like When we're coming here, we're doing that because we had access to that kind of school and education and that my mom didn't even have and my grandmother didn't even have and my great-grandmother didn't have. So yeah, it makes sense that then this woman that I'm working with and having a conversation with about this possible collaboration doesn't have that either. But how can we create it? How can we envision it? Well, one thing is to know that we are seated in our gratitude that we've already experienced it to some extent. So if we push forward with the right Values and we have the right community that we build around us that does believe and keep pushing us through those dips, then I think we're going to be able to make it. Because it's hard to start a business anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. It's hard to start, like, you know, and actually in some ways you start recognizing, this is something that we were talking about recently, was that, you know, actually here, there's such stricter standards and, and things because it's so set up and it's so advanced in spaces like here in the United States that actually you're much more constricted in a lot of ways about how you can go about doing something, which when you're in a, in a different community that's still building a lot of infrastructure, that the creativity and ingenuity and imagination is actually a really key part to it in a way that actually gets a lot more support than sometimes you would find over here because mm-hmm. they're just looking for the immediate material financial um, gain.
0: Just before we move on, just very briefly, could you outline the kind of central pillars of how you set up? So what you pay, how you make sure that there's transparency in what you're doing? The fabric cus when we started we
2: had one tailor and then (laughs) started with one yeah we started with one it does and and she actually had a small community in a church you know and they were tailors and we were supporting her and then the un came with a project called the international trade um, ethical fashion initiative you interviewed simone and um that was really amazing for us because one we could leverage their know-how and their expertise in terms of also ethical fashion and, you know, fair trade rules and all of these things and like what the international community was expecting in addition to what we were already doing in the local market. And then we trained tailors using a local training facility that's called the Product Development Center where we operate today. And then we actually, you got us a grant and we hired our first tailor that was in-house only working for Studio 189 and I remember that it was really difficult to get them all to come to the factory. I don't even know if Simone... Like, nobody would... They wouldn't come to the factory. They were scared of it, you know? And, and today, she's actually the factory manager, which is actually amazing. But anyway, um, so we did it very slowly and organically. You know, we, we partner with a lot of people. We partner with USAID. We partner with the ITC, International Trade Center Ethical Fashion Initiative. We partner with the ITC Agricultural Department. We partner with NYU. We set up... Um, A locally owned village social enterprise in the eastern region of Ghana that NYU gave the grant for, and we taught the women how to make fabrics. And then they do the follow up with the students. It's a class at the Stern School of Business. We partner with organizations that have done it before us. So Another one called uh, Liberty and Justice, which was the first fair trade certified factory in Liberia. So we really we think it's important not to try to reinvent the wheel and to apply our skill set in the way that it can be best applied. And also, people who are working in the local market skill set, and then to you know use people where they have better expertise. So that's kind of Brilliant. our model is like is like that. That's why we applied for the
0: CFDA. Well, I was about to yeah. say. Got a lot of acronyms there. A lot (laughs) of acronyms. I got one. (laughs) CFDA. Congratulations for winning the best emerging designer award this year. Thank you. Incredible. So happy to see that news. Thank you. Thank you. What does it mean to you?
2: Oh, it's huge. It's actually been a huge opportunity for us. It means a lot. I mean, first of all, like, this is a pioneering area, you know, social enterprise.
0: Like, I know, the I class, punched I punch the air. Like, this is great. It's yeah.
2: amazing. And the class, they. and I look at even who's in the class now, they have, like, public school and Tracy Reese and all these incredible yeah. designers that have been doing it for a long time. It shows that this is a movement, and it's changing, and even... Hopefully, one day, the social and sustainability part of the CFDA will also be part of the CFDA Awards, which would also be amazing Mm -hmm. to see happen. But no, I mean, they've been incredibly supportive. And it's a great family. You know, like, people, once they have decided I guess that they value the work that you're doing they're incredibly supportive mm. I mean they connect us with everybody
0: yeah and, fantastic like yeah.
2: everybody and it's not just other designers it could be DHL you know like <laughs> it's every, like logistics you need all that Google
0: yeah. like mm-hmm. anybody like everybody yeah. yeah yeah we're galloping towards the end of our time oh no and oh, it why? cannot end without a robust discussion about what's happening in America where do you think we're at with this conversation around fashion as a feminist issue, fashion as a social justice issue, mm-hmm. when you look outside of the bubble that we operate in and we look at the clash with administrations that don't hold this stuff true? So I guess right now it's an old model versus new model.
1: You know, I think that it's a more short term or a more personal kind of gain kind of model that's existed for a really long time. And, you know, that's made sense in multiple different areas. I mean, we went from all being around the circle, around the fire in an equal position, you know, the shaman and the medicine woman and, you know, the warrior and and the child. And, you know, everybody was around that fire in sort of equal space in that circle. And then with industry and farming and agriculture and, you know, family lines and lineage and power dynamics and legacy, you know, it became this pyramid, you know, this top down where you all, everybody at the bottom just works for the wealth of the person at the top and our whole systems of governments and countries have been built on that. But in the meanwhile, and their quest to make more money, they've created this really interesting system that now is all about sharing. It's a sharing economy. And so everyone's, you know, we're back around the fire again. We open up our laptop, we open up our cell phone, and there we are looking into that light, and we're interconnected with each other in a global way that has never, it's unprecedented in human history. And so it's not just the one who's willing to sacrifice or kill or pillage or get, has that special access or abandon everything who gets to go on that voyage we all get to across age, across ability, across gender, across race, across borders. You know, there's just this connection that's going on. And so people are sharing homes with Airbnb or they're sharing cars with Lyft or Uber and they're sharing, you know, this this, we're all live, working in a WeWork space where people are just interconnected with each other. And it's like with the more and more, especially with blockchain and other things that are developing through technology, people are just going, I want more transparency. I want more power. You're, you're using all of my data to make yourself more money and make me more vulnerable and I'm I just don't see why I need to participate in that system anymore and so I think that there's a really interesting battle Mm. that is going on right now that we're in the midst of and we're going to continue to be because the structures as they exist right now are not compliant with the way that I think society is moving towards but it's really powerful and really dynamic and really beautiful to be a part of you know the world in this moment it's a very different planet than even my mom was growing up in at my age than my grandmother my great-grandmother let alone generations beforehand as a woman and a woman of color you know so i as daunting as some of the issues that are before us and as outrageous and terrifying as some of the the situations that we we find ourselves in right now i look at my 15-year-old daughter and i go i don't see it as all being negative i see that there's some other perception that's growing Powerfully across language that is crying out for something more. And there's so many people who've been working diligently for years to be ready exactly for this moment to give you another option, to give you another access point that you can start building upon. And and I think that's really exciting that you're and you're seeing it in more and more ways where people are just gathering and working together in movement to go, Mm -hmm. no, I see a different way of doing things and I see a different world and I'm willing to jump in and really fight for it and really work hard. To make that just as dynamic and possible as what has existed before. And it's powerful. You know, I talk, yeah. I talk oftentimes about look at, you know, Jessica Alba with The Honest Company. She's a mom, she's an actress, she's a mom. And she has the money and the power and the privilege to be able to go, I'm going to create this non toxic, beautiful world for my family, but going, but I'm a mom and I'm also created now to motherhood in a way that makes me cry out to other mothers and other children and go, it's not enough that I can just provide that. Why can't other mothers have access to this? And I'm, she, there she goes, creating a company, which just in the face of all of these other companies that already exist, that have the brand, that have the distribution, that have all that money, that who could have long since made that accessible to mothers who didn't. And she goes, well, there's a gap here and I'm yes. going to fill it. And here she comes and completely just impacts a huge industry that suddenly is shaken at its core and going, whoa, she's a billion plus. Comp- what just happened? And it's like, that's what's happening more and more and yeah. more. That innovation is really disrupting things, the status quo. And we, we need to continue seeing more of that. And it's, it's exciting. You know? I
0: love how you frame that. Cause my question was so born out of negativity, wasn't it? Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, Trump. And I, I keep thinking in terms of a reckoning like we need a reckoning and he's the pus from the boil that he's glancing and we've all got to get up and try and fight but then I still think that I still think that but I loved how you couch that and actually the rumblings of change have been happening and happening and building and building this is about sharing and this is already happening and actually I loved how you pitched it as those at the top have inadvertently created the conditions for this to breed, if you like. And you know and a grow lot grow and change. A lot
2: of it has long since happened, as Rosario said. And I and I think like for Studio one eighty nine specifically, you know, we were born out of a lot of this. You know, I remember being at that moment in my career where I You know, just looking around the room, and it was a beautiful room, really great people. But I was realizing that there was a clear lack of diversity, just anywhere. Doesn't matter which room you're in; it just wasn't there. You know, whether it was just anything. You know, and and different types of people. There was lack of diversity on the runway, lack of diversity in institutions, in corporate offices, a lack of a lot of things. You know, and. You had this feeling, of we always wanted to say somebody should do something about that. Somebody should do something about that. Somebody should fix that, you know. And, and then I just remember getting to this point. I was like, oh, why don't I do? Like, I could do something about this." Do you know no. what I mean? And that we had the tools to do something about this. And it, I also very distinctively remember remembering that you know when we talk about history, we kind of give a lot of uh, weights to someone for doing this great action. So I think people are always intimidated because if you can't yeah. be Nelson Mandela, if you can't be you know, Rose, if it's not this big moment, then you're not doing anything. And I was like, that's absolutely not, that's not the case. Like, there were so many, we call them like silent soldiers, or so many people that did. Something that allowed these movements to happen, or that just allowed you the opportunity to go to the hospital or get an education. People like my mother, like your mother, people who did, or even a small someone who decided to put your resume in the other pile, and they might just be an intern, you know, like whoever, and gave you a chance for an interview, you know, and and that you could play a role. And so I think what that inspired me to realize that I could do something, even with fashion, and even if small. And then it also created this moment, which is, I think, where we are today. And I think it's the reason why it resonates sometimes with people. Because we're saying, you know, in all levels of the value chain, whether you're, again, like the cleaning lady or the, the tailor or the person who swept today, like your contribution matters and that you have a voice, too, and you can contribute. And so I think that I just want to add, you know, that, we're in this place where we don't necessarily need all of that noise. You know, like the consumer is existing in so many different countries and has access, and has access on their phone, has access through technology to pay for something without even having to use actual cash. You know, like there's so much access. And there's also so much access at the production level. I feel like the greatest challenge is gonna be connecting the consumer more directly with the producer on so many local and international levels where you get to start eliminating a lot of that noise that feels sometimes negative. And I I just, I think that we're getting to that point where we don't need to be doing these dances anymore. You know, we can just find our partner straight, you know. And mm-hmm. That's where I feel like we are. Brilliant. Yeah.
1: Just brilliant. It's time to redefine it. Yeah. Like, you know, in talking about the negative to the positive, it's like back to Eve. But, you know, she created One Billion Rising, which is also now going seven years because we launched at the same time, actually, and on purposefully. And, you know, I remember, you know, with One Billion Rising, that's, you know, to recognize that one in three women will be rape, killed, or beaten in her lifetime. And so that is... A terrifying statistic. And she, I remember being on that board call where she was like, I want a billion women to rise in recognition of this. And I remember, did she say billion with a B or a million? <laughs> you know, but she has, she's big ideas. She's done really big impactful things over the years and she thinks big and she, she just is a bold leader and, and, and woman in this world. And she created a leaderful moment by doing the vagina monologues and so many other things for so many years that she could actually activate a bunch of people who were like ready to take it to the next level. And so you go one billion, well, what are we going to do if we rise up or we're all just going to be screaming in the streets, just super angry that you know this is what's happening to us or go, let's show the world what's missing by having our agency in peril. You know, It's like, let's dance. And that's what she calls us to do is dance. And I think being in celebration and, and creating from abundance and going, no, I'm, I'm looking at the problem. I, I, I get it. I see it. And the scale and scope is terrifying. But at the same time, I'm immobilized if I just look at it from that perspective. You know, if I look at going, well, what's missing? You know what's missing is laughter and joy yeah. and love and power, and we're capable of it because we're still here, we're alive, we're breathing. I I see you, you see me. Let's hold hands and let's scream out loud, you know, and smile and laugh and dance in the face of all of this insanity. Cause I don't know a moment in time that has existed where it hasn't been a struggle. Or been, you know, it hasn't been an uphill battle for most of the human beings on this planet. And so what has gotten us through it is not been about sitting in the corner crying and, and being scared and freaked out and immobile and rendered immobile. It's been going, you know, the sun came out again today, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna feel that vitamin D on my skin and I'm gonna just turn my face like a sunflower in that sun and I'm gonna be in that movement and just be in that movement, you know. And I think that's what I, you know, I keep going back to when I hit that moment of depression, you hit that dip or you hit that fear, is going when you create from that fear and that hate, you just create more fear and hate. It's just that way that it is. And it doesn't mean that you don't look at it, but you can figure out other ways to address it. And rather than just resist in the face of it, how can we persist? How can we get out of just survival mode and get into thriving? Because who knows what tomorrow brings? And I want to look at these issues and I want to be a part, as you said, of the solution of taking a role but I also know, like, I can't take for granted that I might not. I don't have all the time in the world. So, do I want to be my whole life with a frown on my face? <laughs> you know, and you know, I can. I want to achieve with the people that I love. I want to look at them and keep them going and go. I see you. You're doing Abrema. You're a dope, and I'm so excited to be on this path with you and creating with you. And so, when it is challenging, let's sit there and cry and be like that sucks and this hurts and then also go you want to let's, are you eat did you eat something you need some water like get some sleep you know like let's care for each other and love each other through these different issues and and make it better already in that moment and that's how we're gonna see our way out of it and I think that now with technology we're able to just do that in mm-hmm. mass in a way like my favorite thing in the world is these like, flash mobs of stuff where people just like, let's just dance. Let's just like have a moment, Let's just laugh. You know, like Stan Lee just passed away and he talked about that when he was younger. He was looking around and he's got his friends and they're becoming these CEOs and companies and they're solving all these problems. And he's like writing comics and just feeling really daunted by that and doubtful of himself. But then just kind of recognizing that entertainment's important and like what he did to imbue just diversity and problem solving and really going, everyone has a story. And like, it's not just so black and white and that there's good in everyone. And don't take for granted that that kid, as he says, as you're walking by, doesn't have dynamic powers. Mm -hmm. That there's something in you that just, that difference, that actually gives you an advantage. And that's something so powerful that, you know, that's what I want to discover in myself, of just go, that my agency, the, the things that I have, there's plenty, I can look at all the things that I don't. But if I build off of what I do and use my imagination, my curiosity, and my power, my, my desire to just try, then something powerful can happen. Do you know what you I'm going
0: to call this? What? Dynamic Power Duo.
1: Hey! One <laughs> 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 to twin powers activate.
0: <laughs> oh, it's getting hard. My parents feel that Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there, and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover Wardrobe Crisis so I'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You which is from her Glorious Heights album especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you Montaigne. Because I love you